Hey everybody, this is Father John Ricardo with Acts 29, and in the middle of all the craziness and the uncertainty that's going on right now, it seems from our perspective as a team that it's worth using these days to reflect in a more deliberate way on the scriptures every day, which for many of us now is the only spiritual food that we're receiving. And so we're going to do a special podcast series simply entitled, Be Not Afraid, God's Word in Uncertain Times. And we'll try to post something every day, usually reflecting on the scriptures so that we can listen in on what God is trying to say to us in these days. A very happy Easter to everybody on this Easter Tuesday. I think uh, most of us know, but maybe not all of us, that the church doesn't celebrate Easter just uh, over one 24-hour day. She actually celebrates Easter Day for eight days. It's called an octave. And then the season of Easter for 50 days and how appropriate it is in the midst of all that's going on in not just our country, but in the world that we would take this time to celebrate. Uh, The reason that the church does this is because you can't possibly exhaust in one 24-hour period uh, all that is fittingly due to God, most especially at times like this when uh, we're in the midst of this pandemic and still so much uncertainty and so much confusion. Um, It's this feast, namely Jesus's glorious resurrection from the dead, his triumph over the powers of sin and death, which enables you and me even in the midst of times like these, especially in the midst of times like these, to live our lives with quiet confidence, hope, and joy, because God's done something about the mess that we're in. So I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you uh, on this Tuesday. First, I just want to begin by sharing a little bit of feedback that I've heard from some folks over the last uh, couple of days, more or less having to do with... um, how I've been speaking about Jesus actively doing something in his passion as opposed to just being the passive victim, how how much that's, one, either changed their approach to engaging in, reading about, partaking in uh, some celebrations of the passion, or it's just raised the question, like, why in the world don't we hear this today? Like, this is not typical way of preaching uh, in these days. We don't typically hear about Jesus doing anything. We just focus in on what it is that's being done to him. But it actually was the typical way that the early church used to preach about him. And, and it's not just the early church. This is very much rooted in Scripture, right? So just to remind us or maybe point us to three passages in the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 10, verse 18, where Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This charge, Jesus says, I have received from my Father. Or think about the passage in... um, John chapter 12, starting in verse 27, where Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. That's another lame translation, but we'll leave that for another day. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose, Jesus says, I have come to this hour. And then skipping down just a couple other verses to verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, 
when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And finally, we can look at a lot of passages, but one more from the Gospel of John. This is John 14, starting in verse 30, where Jesus says, The ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. These three texts then, right, the the purpose of just calling our attention to these again is to remind us the scriptural foundations for understanding Jesus is the one who is in control, even as he's lowering himself, not simply to become flesh, but then going through the, the horror and the degradation and the humiliation of the crucifixion, which, as often has been said, is the appropriate, uh, if you will, death for the penalty and the severity that is sin. In other words, uh, crucifixion shows us, by its degrading, humiliating nature, just how serious sin is, because if that's the remedy then the wound, the illness, namely sin, must be far more serious than we think or tend to think. And yet, even though that's true, at the same time, the Lord is the one in control. He's not just making atonement for us, and he's not just showing us the Father's love. He's also going to battle. So this is the second thing that I just wanted to share. So I've shared a couple of uh, early sermons or excerpts from some early sermons. I just want to share with you a few more, mainly just to be a means for you to meditate today. I go to these texts over and over again just to soak in uh, and to see the image of Jesus that's lifted up. Remember, the Lord says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. In, In sharing these with you, that's really all I want to do. I just want to lift up Jesus so that you can gaze upon him on the cross and gloriously risen from the dead and let him draw you to himself as he reminds us and speaks to us through the words of his uh, preachers from years gone by of what he's done for, not just for us, but for you. So I'm going to share with you a couple of uh, texts. This is from St. Justin Martyr, who dies around the year 165 or so. Justin wrote this, Christ became man by the virgin, in order that the disobedience that proceeded from the serpent might receive its destruction in the same manner in which it derived its origin. For Eve, who was a virgin and undefiled, having conceived the word the serpent brought forth disobedience and death. But the Virgin Mary received faith and joy when the angel Gabriel announced the good tidings to her that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon her and the power of the highest should overshadow her. Wherefore, also, the holy thing begotten of her is the Son of God. And she replied, Be it unto me according to thy word. And by her has he been born, to whom we have proved so many scriptures refer, and by whom God destroys both the serpent and those angels who are like him. That's Justin. That's 165. Irenaeus, another one of the great heroes of the early church who dies uh, in the year 202, he says this. He asks the question, for what purpose did Christ come down from heaven? 
Why did he come? Why did God become man? Here's his answer. That he might destroy sin, overcome death, and give life to man. Man had been created by God that he might have life. If now, having lost life and having been harmed by the serpent, he were not to return to life, but were to be wholly abandoned to death, then God would have been defeated, and the malice of the serpent would have overcome God's will. But since God is both invincible and magnanimous, he showed his magnanimity in correcting man and improving all men, testing all men, as we have said, but through the second man he bound the strong one, that's the devil, and spoiled his goods and annihilated death, bringing life to man who had become subject to death. For Adam had become the devil's possession, and the devil held him under his power by having wrongfully practiced deceit upon him, and by the offer of immortality made him subject to death. For by promising that they should be as gods, which did not lie in his power, he worked death in them. Wherefore, he who had taken man captive was himself taken captive by God. And man, who had been taken captive, was set free from the bondage of condemnation. That's Irenaeus 202. Another short quote from Irenaeus. The word of God, he says, was made flesh in order that he might destroy death and bring man to life. For we were tied and bound in sin. We were born in sin and live under the dominion of death. St. Gregory Nazianus, uh, who dies in about 390 or so, asking or answering the purpose of the incarnation. Again, why did God become man? He says this, that God, by overcoming the tyrant, might set us free and might reconcile us with himself through his son. Another Gregory, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, about a year later, who died about a year later, 391, he said this, Jesus was about to engage him, this is in his passion, who had taken human nature prisoner and was about to loosen death's bonds. By having destroyed the last enemy, he might restore mankind to freedom and peace. And I'll leave you just one more. This is St. Maximus, the confessor, dies around uh, 662. He says uh, about Jesus, his flesh on the cross was set before that voracious, gaping dragon as bait to provoke him, flesh that would be deadly for the dragon, for it would utterly destroy him by the power of the Godhead hidden within it. For human nature, however, his flesh was to be a remedy, since the power of the Godhead in it would restore human nature to its original grace. Just as the devil had poisoned the tree of knowledge, and spoiled our nature by its taste, so too in presuming to devour the Lord's flesh. He himself is corrupted and is completely destroyed by the power of the Godhead hidden in it. So again, the point of this is just to share with us again, let us reflect again together on how the church has from the beginning understood Not only what we were celebrating last week, but the reasons you and I have for such joy 
and confidence and hope in this world that we're living in right now, concretely in this day. And that reason is because God has fought for us against our ancient foe. And you and I, as N.T. Wright and as we in Acts 29 often repeat, you and I are not just recipients of this extraordinary deed that Jesus has done for us by his death and resurrection. You and I are called to be active agents of it. In other words, we're supposed to experience in our own lives uh, the power of Jesus freeing us, hopefully more and more every day, from the power of sin, but also then to be agents in his hands whereby we are bringing God's rescuing power, his love, his mercy, his truth into every area of the world, every structure, every institution, every person we encounter. That's the mission of the church, not just to share the good news, but to call people to respond to it and to try to touch everything we do in such a way so that it comes to life back in accordance with the Father's original intent. So brothers and sisters, let's continue to give thanks to the Father for all that he has done for us in his Son. Let's continue to ask for the grace to experience it more fully in our lives, uh, even in the midst of this social distancing, and then when we can finally get out there, let's seek to do all we can uh, to share this good news and to bring this good news, this extraordinary news, into whatever situations we find ourselves. Again and again and again, do not be afraid. God, the God who rescues us from death, the God who binds the strong man is with us. You and I were born for this.